Hello and welcome to Clamp, the Creating, Living, and Making podcast. I'm your host, Morley Kurt, and joining me as always is Grant Alexander. Hello. And unfortunately this week, um, Adam was really busy and wasn't able to join us, but Grant and I saw an opportunity in that to make this an all-Canada episode. So in lieu of Adam joining us as a special guest, we have Zach Matchett-Smith, a fellow Torontonian of Zach Builds. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Doing good. Thanks so much for coming on, Zach. Yeah, my pleasure. So for the people who might not be familiar with your work or what it is you do, um, why don't you just give like a quick introduction to a little bit of your background and uh, type of stuff you make and videos and all that okay. good stuff. Okay, cool. Um, so I am a Toronto area contractor and I decided to start a social media. I don't... I, uh, social media accounts, I guess, is it's plural. So I like I make YouTube videos and I do Instagram and I don't know. I also have a blog, but I'm not sure if that counts these days. Um, <laughs> and basically, what I wanted to do was I wanted to find a way that I could take all the things that I learned about building and teach them to people. Um, and so I started, you know, kind of doing furniture projects and little building projects and stuff like that, and you know, trying to include as much detail about how I did them and then sharing them with people. So I've been doing it for like the last two or three years now, and I'm uh, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome, yeah, yeah, and we'll dive into it more later. But like, it's not it's not like you've just been building stuff the past two or three years. Like you have you have many years of experience of uh, yeah. renovations, houses. Yeah. So okay, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> should have been a little bit more clear about that. So I've basically <laughs> been working in the construction world since I was like five years old. So my dad started a company with my grandfather uh, the year I was born, or maybe like six months before I was born. Um, and so basically, since I've been old enough to walk, I've been going to job sites and, you know, working in the construction world. Um, and I really wanted to share that with people. But it's, it's, you know, when I'm working on somebody's house, I didn't want to like bring a camera with me and like film myself working on somebody's house. Because that's not, I don't know. I think it was very ethical, like they're paying me to work, not to film myself. So the furniture projects and the, the building stuff kind of came as a way that I could, you know, I, I could share the things that I learned, but in a more controlled environment on my own time. For sure. That makes total sense. Um, all right. That's awesome. So, Zach, more recently, the last couple of weeks or so, um, have you been, what have you been working on? What has been in your clamps, uh, this past little while? Uh, yeah, so I'm working on a couple cool things. So I just finished, um, I actually redid an older project. Um, yeah, as, so it's a project that I did before I started my YouTube video. It's a, a bookcase that I'm building. Um, and I wanted to recreate this older project, but I wanted to do it as cheap as possible. Cause I have a tendency when I'm building stuff for myself, like I'll use like Walnut, which is, you know, like 10 bucks a board foot and, use all these expensive materials. And I realized it kind of alienates people. Um, mm. And so I wanted to do a project that used really simple tools and get the cost down as low as possible. So nice. I just finished that yesterday and I'm currently editing the video of it. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very cool. What about you guys? Well, I am, I am doing basically the opposite of that right now. I'm doing in a ridiculously gratuitous project. Okay. I um, like it. Our friends over at uh, the Because We Make podcast, Vincent and Ethan, um, are putting on a, a challenge. It's called the Unwrap a Project Challenge. Um, and I'm, I, I feel like every week with a podcast, I've been like peeling back a little bit of like what it is I'm working on. So I'll just come out and say it at this point. Um, it is a 3D printed puzzle box uh, oh. in an art deco style. Oh, so it's, cool. it's like art. It's all a lot of like vertical lines, sun motifs. Um, I've always had a thing for art deco design and, but I've never actually like applied it in mm -hmm. anything before. So it's been like super fun, um, kind of diving into all the design world, have like all these big Pinterest boards of all the different styles and stuff. So, um, mm. I've, it's all designed. I'm now in the printing stage. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, I'm, I really hope it works. It all works virtually in fusion 360, <laughs> but we'll see how work, how well it works in, in uh, real life. Um, so is it going to be plastic when it's done? So I'm actually printing it with what's called wood PLA, which oh, is essentially cool. wood 
dust or wood particles mm-hmm. suspended in plastic. Okay. So what you end up with is this like, it feels like a very high quality plastic, almost like Playmobil is made of. Mm-hmm. It, it's marketed as like wood that you can 3D print, but it's not really. Unless you <laughs> you can, if you print a really, really organic shape, it could pass as wood. And the cool thing is that it sands and stains as wood. So it, once you start playing with it, like you can get it to like kind of emulate wood. Okay. I don't really plan on doing that. I was thinking of standing up, but I'm not thinking of doing it anymore. It just is like an interesting yeah. Nice feeling material. It feels a little more natural than just plastic. Is it? Does it kind of like when it comes out of the printer? Is it kind of almost like wood filler or? Um, kind of. Yeah, it's um, it's almost like a bendyish plastic. Oh, the the cool. finished material is is more similar to MDF, but that is a little more flexible. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So that's the main. That's been the main work recently, and then um, I just finished up a leatherworking video which she'll be should be posted by the time this episode comes out um it's my first kind of asmr leatherworking video so like all shop sounds mm-hmm. um i it was funny i was i was i do a little like patreon's uh exclusive podcast for my for my projects and i realized as i was talking through is it, it like this is actually the style of my first videos where it was like no music just shop sounds and i didn't even know about this whole video trend at that time mm-hmm. and now it's kind of interesting to take everything i've learned and putting so much effort into syncing my work up with the music and then taking out the music altogether yeah. and it's it's a very like strange experience but i i think it turned out well cool i'm i'm almost afraid to do one of those asmr videos i just don't feel like i know people love them but I just, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like if I were to attempt it, it would just be too boring and people would immediately tune out and never watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I, I am always breathing into the microphone and no one wants to hear that over <laughs> top of the tool noises. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I just go, I'm going to throw a bunch of music on top of this. Because well, like, while, I'm, while I'm editing though, I'm like, I can't, I can barely listen to myself because it's like... <sighs> <laughs> so quick question for you guys then what do you use to record sound when you're working in the shop what's your what's your microphone setup so i use a uh rode video micro i believe okay Uh, it's an on-camera directional shotgun mic Mm -hmm. which -hmm. gives me really great directional audio and it's great for something like this but i definitely do have to be conscious of the breathing um like it's amazing how much you can hide if you do music and voiceover like your audio can be really poor quality in either the ambient noise or the voiceover mm-hmm. because having those three tracks on top of each other, you can just hide so much. And this is like, everything is exposed. And if you think you can hear your breathing when you're woodworking, you can really hear your breathing while you're leatherworking and there's no electricity happening. Right. Um, so mine but I tried like when to I'm le- doing chiseling or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's when I really hear it. I'm like, Ooh, got to put some music there. Yeah. And then like, I didn't really, I wasn't really conscious of that when I was filming it. So it is, you do hear it a bit in the video. It's not overly distracting though. And I tried to take out the worst bits. There's this really Mm -hmm. funny moment where I'm burnishing the edge of the leather and I just burp, like I pause and burp, (laughs) not putting it in the final video, but I think I'm going to like do an Instagram post uh, after the fact. Cause it's just like, I was editing with headphones on and the audio is so loud and it's just like so striking out of nowhere. Yeah. I just use the uh, microphone on my GoPro. So, oh yeah, the new that's GoPro, all I use. The new GoPros is, apparently have like an incredible microphone array, so they have like seven microphones or something like that. So wow, yeah, it works. It works surprisingly well, but it it's nothing like it's not as good as like any external mic would be. Right, but it is convenient. I um I recently just upgraded and went for like a little wireless lavalier mic setup because I found I was recording I was always like really far away from the camera and I would like want to say something and then I would say something and my shop has like hard walls and concrete floors and it was like it was just echo city so I got the little wireless lavalier and it's just like it's made such a difference it, it completely oh, they're kills awesome. all of the echoes you know it's yeah I'm really I'm really enjoying it the best part about that is that you, when you move, your voice doesn't change exactly. because there's people who don't have that and they, and they're like far away and you can barely hear them. And they're talking yeah. like this and then they get right up in the mic and you're like, Oh my God, like and you're constantly <laughs> yeah. playing with the volume. And you're yeah. like, Oh, and then sometimes I got, I, 
be really far away from the mic and then I would like you would boost it to like try and get the your voice to like a normal volume but then you're just boosting all the background sound too and you hear like the hiss of the air compressor that's leaking a little bit and stuff and it's just brutal. (laughs) I got a wireless mic pretty early in COVID because um Eden's mom is a, is a yoga teacher. She owns a studio okay. and uh, she needed to make yoga videos. So I was producing those for her. So I got the mic so she could clip it on and uh, have audio. And it was, I was like, this is amazing audio. This is fantastic. Sorry for the siren in the background. Okay. Uh, speaking of audio. Um, and I've slowly been integrating it in more into my videos. And I think, I think I'm just going to start using it for voiceover as well. Cause it ha- gets such good quality. Um, and, and it gets a different, like my, this mic that I'm recording with right now gets pretty good quality, but this one also gets very good quality. And I'm like, why, if I'm going to have a talking head, why am I going to switch between these slightly two different tones rather than just keep it consistent? I I had the same thing. So I have this podcasting mic that I set up. I use it for voiceovers. I was like, it just doesn't sound as good as the lavalier mic. Like, cause the lavalier mic is like, you know, no matter what you do, it's like six inches away from your mouth or maybe even less than that. So it's like, it's perfect. It sounds so good. So yeah, I, I honestly consider doing the same thing. Yeah, it, it stinks because like you want to believe that the like bespoke voiceover mic is going mm-hmm. to be better at its job, mm-hmm. but it's it just doesn't always work. <laughs> mm-hmm. <out>. So true. <laughs> uh, Grail, what have what have you been up to this past well, week? I have been making tiny Christmas sweater ornaments. I'm Ooh, trying to show cool. it on the camera. This one's got a. a stocking like a stocking on it anyways they're going to be painted uh so it's a you know fun little carving project uh doug uh doug linker is uh the guy i saw him do it and i'm stealing his idea but i'm going to give him credit so it's not a steal it's like i'm (laughs) borrowing his idea i'm gonna have my two-year-old paint them so it's not going to be anything like his quality of of ornament it's going to be a two-year-old paints it so that's the fun that's going to be my uh christmas video for the year and i've been editing my workbench video uh and i also got my fools with tools uh treasure trade gift uh in the mail today and that was very exciting nice that's awesome yeah thank you to alan uh fisher for the beautiful gift that yeah that looked like i saw that right before we recorded and it looked like he he really did you nicely. Yeah. I'm excited. Sweet. So th- th- with having a Zach on, um, Grant and I were talking about like what we wanted to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. And a few episodes ago, we were kind of talking about how like as makers, we in some ways like masquerade as some combination of like artists and tradespeople without any of the training. (laughs) And we try to just kind of like do it, do it ourselves. Um, But then we also got to talk, we're like, well, Zach has all this experience in, in the trades and in building and renovation. So like that is an, an awesome knowledge tap. But then we also got to thinking it's like, well, all of us as makers and as people come from like a very specific background. So like Grant and I both come from engineering to a certain extent. Grant has also some of his marketing background and it's really incredible, like how much you can take those very like disparate sets of skills and apply them to, let's just say in this context to making and making videos. And it really kind of sort of informs your style. Mm -hmm. Um, So we thought that would be like an interesting topic to dive down. Um, And maybe just to start that off, um, Zach, I know you gave like a brief intro at the beginning as to like some of your background, but I know that it's not just um, building and renovation in that. Like I've seen in some of your Instagram posts, like you also take like incredible photography. So I feel like that just didn't come from from nowhere. You have this sort of like very unique combination of skills that is making Zach builds. It's interesting you say that because I uh, I kind of joke around with people sometimes and say like the only reason i started making stuff was so that i would have something to take pictures of (laughs) (laughs) like yeah it's it's interesting like i haven't really been doing photography that for that long and kind of like you were saying before like i don't have like any professional training as a photographer i just like doing it and i watch a bunch of youtube videos on how to do it so i'm kind of a big believer in just you know like if you like doing something just pick it up and start doing it Mm mm-hmm and, and, and same thing with woodworking, like, you know, like I often kind of feel like I'm uh, masquerading as a woodworker. Cause like, 
you know, I have a lot of experience as a carpenter on job sites, but that's like rough framing. You know, that's like if you're out an eighth of an inch, it's like it's no big deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then but then when it comes to like joinery and stuff like that, like I had no idea what I was doing when I first started. But it was, you know, I, I kind of had a little bit of confidence and I had familiarity with the tools. But, you know, I, nobody ever like you know, <laughs> nobody ever taught me how to do a nice glue up or anything. But I think the familiarity with the tools is a big one Definitely. because that's something that a lot of woodworkers I talk to or beginning ones are like afraid of a table saw. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you come from a trade where yeah. you use a table saw to rip down giant pieces of two, like four by eight sheets of plywood totally. to do whatever, you're you're not going to be afraid of that saw because you have seen it throw a two by four, the other, you know, all the way across the yard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. So I think that's a that's a big like skill that you can transfer into woodworking. For sure. For sure. And that's and yeah, the familiarity with it and the comfortability around it is actually kind of interesting. Like coming from the like the construction world, nobody wears safety glasses, nobody puts on headphones, you know, like nobody wears a mask. So it was very interesting going. I got a lot of early criticism about like how unsafe a lot of my practices were. And I've, I've, I've definitely made an effort to correct them, but it's, it's stuff like that. In terms of like on, on camera stuff you were doing. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Cause on a job site, it's like, you know, you're just trying to get it done as fast as possible. If you had to make a quick cut on the table saw, you, you might not be looking around for the safety glass. You might just do the cut. <laughs> and so, do the safety squint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I put on my squinty goggles. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's how my dad taught me. Mm-hmm. Like he would be wearing the safety glasses and he'd tell me, hold this end of the board and close your eyes. Right? Just don't let go of the board. Yeah. But dad, you know what I can't believe flying this way. Yeah. <laughs> I what I can't believe is how many people use like a router without um what I like to call it, ear goggles, yeah. uh, earmuffs, like of any sort. Like I just, it's so like, do you already have tinnitus? I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually worry far more about my hearing than I do about my eyesight or anything like that. Cause I've been around a lot of loud tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've actually got tested and I've lost hearing in uh, both my ears, but at different frequencies. So mm. I can still hear them all. Yay. And that, that was before I even like got into woodworking really. But, uh, yeah, I need to be I need to be racing. way better with toxic chemicals and just fume, like using contact yeah. cement and leatherworking. Um, yeah, my current strategy is just crack the window. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when you can feel it in your nostrils for like twelve hours afterwards, especially Bondo. I mean, I'm not using that much these days, but the times I have used Bondo, nothing has ever stuck in my sinuses as it's much brutal. as Bondo has. It's brutal. Yeah, I've been trying to, and even like. I was saying I was building that bookcase and I was like staining it and I was like, should I be wearing a respirator right now? And I was like, if I have to ask that question, I should probably just be wearing a respirator right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have a sense of smell mm-hmm. and growing up, I used to make uh, little car models and back in the day there wasn't like water-based paints weren't a thing, right? You couldn't yeah. get acrylic yeah. paints that yeah. were, appropriate for doing models so you had enamel and everyone had the same like testers enamel square bottle things um and you just paint thinner and clean your brushes and i would paint them in my room on the desk actually that i'm currently using but uh so that's kind of cool but uh anyways (laughs) i would paint them in my room with paint thinner and sometimes i'd go to sleep and forget to close the paint thinner Oh, oh my god! And my parents would wake up and go like, "What is wrong with you? How can you like? How do you? How do you not smell this?" I'm like, "I don't know. <laughs> I just, I guess I can't smell things." And uh, yeah, so I'm, I've lost a lot of brain cells that way for sure. So when you say you don't, you can't smell. Is that are you being? Are you exaggerating a little bit, or you can you just legitimately not smell anything? I, I legitimately cannot smell anything. I'm like blind in the nose. Doesn't that affect you how you taste things and stuff too? Yes. Wow. Interesting. So I I taste things completely different than other people, but Mm -hmm. uh, it is a, I like I, I value texture way more than a lot of people do. Right. Makes sense. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. But in a weird way that I actually like things to be like easily chewed and like not like, 
Oh, not smoothie level, but like the closest to smoothie, but still being solid huh. is like my favorite way of eating food. I don't know. Why. Wow. That is the opposite of what I would expect. I would think that you would like want the crunchiest, most interesting textural things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyways, bring, bring, bring it back to the topic a little bit and <laughs> kind of segue from what you were saying, Grant. Do you think like your experience in like building model cars and all the model painting you did back in the day has informed the types of making that you do now and like the things that you like to do? Definitely. Um, like, cause it, like these, the little sweaters I'm working on are tiny and they're small. And that's, I, I like working on these little small things because like, it kind of has that remnants of, of doing it. So I have that detail focus from doing that, like yeah. to build a little car model, you're painting these little tiny pieces and stuff like that. And when I'm making this little, Christmas ornament. I'm doing the same thing. I like making smaller projects a lot of times. Uh, one, they're cheaper. You know, they're a lot more. Uh, you, you know, that that bit of wood was like a you know fifty cents basswood, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, so that kind of thing. I think it does transfer a little bit because I learned all these like skills on on working with detailed stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, it's really interesting. It's like it's basically the opposite of how I'm coming at this um, puzzle box because my like educational background is in civil engineering and specifically structural engineering. So I'm making this like four by five by four little box, which is essentially a miniature. I have very little experiences in doing miniatures and I'm essentially designing and building it as if it's a building. I'm thinking like beams and columns and I have no idea what like, what sort of tolerances or things you have to um, watch out for in miniatures. I'm kind of just winging it. I was like, oh yeah, hundredth of an inch. That seems su- sufficient for a slip fit. <laughs> I have no idea. I just do one test. Seems like it'll work okay. But that act that definitely informs a lot of how I build when it's when I'm doing less leather and more sort of wood and um, yeah, 3D stuff mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. thinking about it from like a structural um, point of view. And it's very like I think most people have a pretty intuitive sense of how like structures work and how structures stand up. And it's very interesting in my degree. Like it was, it was very weird when you would see someone in a structural engineering class who did not have an intuitive sense of how buildings worked. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh man, I don't know if you should be in this program. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if this, if you're this far and you don't understand that, like if the wind blows this way yeah. and this cross brace will be under tension and this other one will be under compression, then yeah, like yeah. maybe you're not in the right place. That being said, like there are a lot of parts of structures that like aren't obvious and that like when someone explains to you, like you're like, oh, that makes sense. But like you wouldn't necessarily assume it. Um, So that's been like very useful for me and like troubleshooting and especially thinking about like possible like where something could break being like, oh, I have to watch out for it here because this is where it's going to be weakest. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that a lot. I see that a lot in the construction world when we're working on something and, you know, you, you, I'll be telling somebody like, you know, push up on this end of it and that'll drop that end down. And they just, you, I look at them and they, I get a blank stare back. It's like, how do you not understand the relationship of of some of these materials? Yeah, it it can be, it can be quite impairing for some people. It sounds like they didn't even ever use a teeter totter when they were in the. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is a pretty simple relationship that, like, I've, I would assume most people intuitively understand, but you run across these people every once in a while. Yeah. Well, one other thing I I noticed, uh, I, if I you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was your grandfather has a bunch of sculptures around Toronto. Yes, yes, he does. Uh, not- so there's like a. Not as many anymore uh, as he used to. A lot of them, as he's, he was very, uh, I guess, uh, prolific. Is that the right word? In the seventies and eighties, and now as he's getting older, he's not making as many. And a lot of them are coming down because they're in older buildings; they're being renovated. So there's still quite a few of them up. But you know, every couple of years, one of them gets taken down. Right? Did you have any? Like, have you been around that when he was building them? Yeah, so um, I I did a couple when I was in university. That was like kind of one of my side gigs was I would go to his studio and he was making some sculptures for the lobbies of condos at the time. Um, so I would go and help him. And uh, uh, to be honest, a lot of that work that I did with him has informed the work I do now. Like a lot of that, uh, like um, the contrasting woods and stuff like that. I get a lot of that from the work I did with him. 
but yeah, what he, styles what style sculptures was he doing? Was it like cast or yeah? Or so earlier on in his career, he did a lot of cast stuff. Well, he did a lot of he did a lot of big like steel welding, and then um, kind of in my youth, like uh, when I was like you know maybe 10, 11, 12, he was really really into bronze casting. Um, and then as I was in university and now he's been working a lot with wood. So, yeah, hmm. whole, whole different range of <laughs> different, different mediums and painting. Right. too. Yeah. But you must've learned a lot, like, cause that is a different thing than construction. Yes. Right. Yeah. Totally. So do you see anything that you learned from there? Like, like any skills you learned from there? Do you see how they've, how you've been able to apply them to say, a pixelated coffee table. Or, well, yeah, and, totally. You know, I mean, I, I definitely learned a, a very good appreciation of just how strong wood glue is. Because we, <laughs> <laughs> we used to make these big, uh, he, he made this like big, like he, so what he did was he took thousands of cross sections of dowels and glued them together. And then we would carve them with an angle grinder and make these like big like waves in them. So it was like these the circular pattern of different sized dowels carved into like a wave shape. And he wow. would stick them together with just like a brush stroke of wood glue and then just, you know, set them next to each other for 20 minutes. And then 30 minutes after that, we'd be carving it with an angle grinder. So, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I have, a, I do a lot of glue ups in a lot of my projects. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it, it gave me an appreciation. Like, um, we then I would go with him on site to these condo lobbies and we would mount them and we would, you know, we would bust out the hammer drill and we'd be drilling and setting epoxy anchors in the walls and stuff like that. So it was, there's always been a lot of crossover between the construction world and kind of the artistic side that I, I enjoy exploring now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think you learned anything like perspective or like, did that inform any of your photography skills? Yeah. that's Cause that's where I kind of, I see it as like, you got this artistic grandfather and you've, you've worked with them and you then make these artistic pieces. Yeah, yeah, and I and you know I don't want to give all the uh, credit to my grandfather too. My dad's a my dad's a pretty talented artist too. Um, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, it's funny people used to ask me all the time when I was younger, and I would go to my grandfather and my dad's art gallery shows. They're like, "When are you going to get started? When, when's your art coming out?" And I, <laughs> I would say, oh, I'm not interested in art. Like that's not really for me." But <laughs> I guess I kind of found a way into it. Um, yeah, I would say like your side table is an art piece. Yeah, it's yeah. not a like that. That I don't know what the 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 one that like doesn't connect all the way yeah. uh, between the top and the bottom. That's an art piece. That's not a woodworking piece. Well, like it is obviously. Well, but. yeah, but the white glory, <laughs> right? And and I I think I kind of lean on that a little bit because I know I'm not I'm not the most talented woodworker. I'm not great at joinery, but I can you know, I can imagine things that are kind of eye catching and like, you know, like it doesn't take a lot of skill to do that, but maybe not everybody's thought to do something like that. So that's, that's kind of my niche. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just thinking of, I think just product, uh, project choice, mm -hmm. there's so much that goes into that, that mm -hmm. sometimes gets like discounted. Oh, totally. uh, just like the mere thought of like thinking of that project Yeah, can like a lot of people wouldn't have done. Like I, I feel it very similarly. It's like every little experience you've had in your life can go into like what sorts of projects you do. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have this kind of similar experiences to you, Zach, and that like my mom is an interior designer. So as a kid, I would go with her to job sites right. and to installs and stuff. Um, and kind of from a young age, I, I developed like this, like really big appreciation for like what a well-designed room looks like in mm -hmm. like beautiful homes. Like mm -hmm. me and my mom still will go and when I'm, when I'm visiting, we'll drive around the neighborhood and we'll just like talk about houses. Like, what do you like about this one? Or like, look at this McMansion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so it, I, I think that alone, just the sorts of projects you choose, can, yeah. you can, you can tell a lot about a person. And you know, I also kind of, I, I still have a full-time job. I'm not a full-time maker. So I kind of know I need to make every project count. I really try and think like, you know, it, if I'm going to make it, it, ha it kind of has to be eye catching. Like it has to be, I, I'm trying to grow a social media channel. I would like to do this full-time. So I'm trying to like make every single one count. 
So mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to make every everything I build I need it to, to be something that's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like I want to find out more about this. Yeah. Right. And that's like I feel like you you really lean on a lot of the skills that you have in doing that. Yeah. Like you learn you lean on everything you've learned throughout your life to make every one of those videos. Oh, for sure. I I will put a piece of plywood on something and go, that's a video sometimes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and but you know what? That's also to my detriment to a certain degree, right? Because like I'll spend like I made my desk and I spent two weeks in the shop making it. And then I spent probably like another three weeks editing the video. And some people are, are just are like, oh, I want to build something today. I'm going to build this one thing today. I'm going to shoot it. And then I'm going to have the video out three days later or whatever it is. Right. So yeah. it's a double edged sword. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. But it pays off. I hope like, so. <laughs> well, when, uh, when we've been chatting since before you had a YouTube channel. Yeah, that's true. And you now have 20,000 plus subscribers. And like half of that came in like the last like two or three weeks too. Which, right. Yeah. And I, I already had, I think I had a thousand subscribers when we started chatting and now I have not even 2000. So the, the, you, what you've been doing has been working for sure. You've been pulling all the skills together to make some great content. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I re- that's very nice. I appreciate you saying that. And uh, it's it's it is. And you're right. It's like it's. I try to put everything I have into these videos, and I, I, I'm I'm treating it like it it's the thing I want to do. Like I'm treating it like as if it were my job, even though it's just kind of like my the thing I yeah. come home at the end of the day and do right now. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, this is, I'm going to go backwards and then forwards. But I was going to say is like, one of the things I really admire about Jimmy Duresta, there's a hot take, um, <laughs> no, but um, is the fact, is the fact that he's found a video style that like perfectly dovetails with his personality and his workflow. Totally. Like he's found that he can make his style of videos quickly mm-hmm. and they're interesting mm-hmm. and it like, it all works great. Like it's sustainable. That's a really big part of it. Yeah. And I think figuring out a sustainable workflow if you're trying to as you said like grow a youtube channel is really really difficult because you have to put in a ton of effort if you want um if you want results i mean like it's people increasingly on the internet and like youtube and instagram like they expect higher and higher levels of quality yeah and like that's something i kind of had to realize this year is like you have to put in an inordinate amount of effort sometimes. And sometimes you can't just be like, I want to be as efficient as possible. Like yeah. it has to hurt a little bit. Um, but then at a certain point too, it's like figuring out something that is sustainable for you and that like you can do long-term. And like, I feel like I'm, I'm like slowly figuring that out. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe if I let go of this thing a little bit and do this thing a little more, mm-hmm. it'll make me happier and more successful. Mm-hmm. And then we're all, we're all laughing. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it, it's a skill thing, right? Like you, you develop a, as you develop skills as a baker, you like develop skills as a content creator, right? Like I used to try and explain everything in my videos, like talking to camera. And then I realized like, Oh, that's like, I I'm not good at talking to the camera. I like fumble all over my words. I had to say things 50 times. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to say like a rough outline and then I'll fill it in with voiceovers. And it's like, Oh my God, that just like saved me that decision alone save me probably like 20 hours on every video or something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good point to, to think about is, is that learning where your skills aren't strong Mm -hmm. and, and kind of either you try and work on those ones or you try and make it so that you don't need to rely on them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't, I don't do a lot of voiceover on my stuff. I don't do a lot of explaining of what I do because I, I personally like watching videos of sometimes going like, I want to figure out how did how that person made it. I'll, I'll watch it really quickly and go, I want to figure out how he made it. Totally. But I also get the internet doesn't want that. Uh, the internet wants an explainer video. Like they do the best. I, mean, I don't totally agree with that. Yeah. And I think Zach, you're going to say something similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say there's 7 billion people on this planet, you know, like, you can f- you can easily find enough of them who who, who like your particular style. Like look at Jimmy Duresta, right? Like uh, his yeah. videos are a little unconventional. He doesn't explain everything, but he's a huge success. So there's a it's niche true. out there for everybody. 
They're, I mean, they're I, also only unconventional if you compare them to like the field as a whole. Sure. And like, I didn't see many makers on YouTube before I saw my first Jimmy DeResta video. Mm-hmm. I had seen like Matthias Wandel, Bob Claggett. Um, that might've been it. And like maybe Nick Offerman, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Jimmy DeResta and I was like, okay, this is another style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it just depends how you come into it. Um, and I don't think you don't necessarily yeah. have to compare yourself against every other person who's doing it. Totally. And I think, you know, you, you kind of I make the videos that I would want to watch. And I think we yeah. all kind of do that. Right. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, when I look at some people's videos there and like Morley's a great example, his videos like are in such a different range like they go from ASMR videos of not like no music, no nothing to like all music, all fun. Mm-hmm. Right. And so some people do that and some people do like all voiceover and some people do no voiceover. Some people mix it up mm-hmm. like myself who I basically go if if the camera doesn't explain it. Right. If I can't if I can't understand what I'm doing right. looking at the camera, I need to add voiceover to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. Let's get back on, like, okay. morally. Let's get us back on the topic here. No, I was, uh, I was enjoying this tangent, but you're, you're right. Yeah. I'm pondering now. I don't really have anything to say about that. Now I'm just thinking. Um, oh, yeah. Back on this topic. Well, um, like, what are – so you also had a – you have a degree in commerce, right? Uh, yes. I have a BCom. Yeah. So do you think there's anything that you learned in your business, at, like – degree that is transferable to what you're doing now on either social media marketing or even building. Why not? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. So, you know, it's really interesting. One of the things I always like, I've, I've told this to all my cousins, like anybody who's younger than me. And when they, you know, when they're hitting that kind of university age, you're trying to think about what you want to do. I always tell people, do you know what you want to do? Getting a business degree is one of the best things you can do. Because all of a sudden, if you if you're 25 and you decide that you just absolutely love coffee, you're in the perfect position to open your own coffee shop or open up your own coffee emporium or whatever it is, right? So yeah, I, I uh, it, it's funny. I you know I got a lot of weird looks from some of my classmates when I was when I graduated. A lot of them went to be analysts at banks and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, I'm going to join the, you know, the family business and swing a hammer <laughs> and, and then I'm going to start making YouTube videos. So it's yeah, it's been a little bit of a weird path. But uh, so much of what I learned in that business uh, degree informs how I, you know, how I run my channel, how I talk to brands when it comes to doing deals and yeah, all sorts of stuff. It's super handy. Yeah, well, I definitely think like talking about deals. So you by understanding the marketing side of it. You know somewhat, hopefully, based on your degree, what they're looking for. You know the language they're going to talk about. You're gonna you're gonna have a better understanding of of talking about customer bases and, and sure. talking about like who you're reaching and, and demographics and stuff like that. For sure, like I, um, that definitely would be a helpful thing. It it, it was to a certain degree. I also got kind of lucky. Um, my girlfriend works in advertising. And I have a good friend who works in PR as well. So I, I've, when I first started on, I leaned very heavily on them, you know, like what, what, what's this brand looking for? What, what does a PR agent do? You know, like, so there was, there was a lot of learning that had to happen there, but yeah, it it definitely did help with that as well. Yeah. I think that's a, that's kind of another avenue we, we haven't really fully died down in terms of like the unique relationships that you have going into a venture yeah can be like the thing that changes everything <laughs> totally right <laughs> it can overshadow everything else yeah yeah i mean just have it well i mean you know there's an old age-old expression it's you know it's who you know right and yeah that applies it like when it comes to getting a job somewhere but it also applies like you know just being able to ask your friends like you know oh how do i do this or you know what's the best way to go about x y and z and I, I've been trying to do that a little bit with my YouTube channel, too. It's like, you know, like, I know some really good metal workers. I know some people who work in the special effects industry. It's like, how can I integrate those into my videos? Because it's fun for me, and hopefully it's fun for the audience, too. Yeah. Well, you did mm-hmm. that collaboration with your your desk. 
Yeah. You had a, a leather worker friend yeah. uh, make the keyboard yeah. tray piece. So like that, I, I enjoy like the collaborations for sure. They're, they're, I think more interesting because it's, it, it makes you human. You mm-hmm. can't do it all. And you're saying, I can't yeah. do it all. Yeah. I need help yeah. on this thing. Yeah. And you go to someone who says, I can do that thing. I can't do the rest of the things he's doing, but I can do that thing. Totally. You know, <laughs> you, when, uh, when you get together with some friends, you'd be, it's surprising what you can accomplish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You put all your skill sets together and at the end of the day, you can make something cool or, you know, you can make something pretty average like a keyboard tray. <laughs> well i i definitely think that like sometimes you got to think about what skills that you can transfer from other things you've learned Mm -hmm. but you also need to think about what skills you can't transfer and Hmm. and you can't always learn everything and some things you're not going to be good at like yeah i i don't i don't know i'd like to push back a little bit on that i i don't think i'll ever be good at a lot of the things I do, but I think I can be like kind of (laughs) okay. And I think that oftentimes that's good enough, right? Yeah. Especially if you're just making stuff for yourself and like around the house, like, you know, like whatever, like the leather working thing I did, it's, it's the corner doesn't fold perfectly, but it works. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and especially when you're making YouTube videos, it's like, you know, you show the process, you show the effort. It's like, if something's not perfect, like, I don't know, maybe you don't let the camera hover on it for too long. <laughs> right. I know like David Picciuto talks about like exactly that. Like you just don't show the, the corner that doesn't look great. Yeah. 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 You put that one at the back of the picture yeah. and no one knows that, you know, that frame didn't come together perfectly there. Yeah. Like, no you know, one's it's funny. Out. Like that sounds so obvious, but I think we can all relate to the fact that like when you make something and then you're making a video on it, I I've sometimes feel like I have this weird obligation that I have to show like all of it. Yeah. And, but you don't like, there's no reason you have to. It's like, what, what is the point of the video? Is the point of the video to show this person exactly what this thing looks like? Or is the point of the video to like transfer something inspirational or instructional or entertaining? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be like, oh, and look, I messed up this thing, but this, but it's, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no like show, showing your mistakes are great when you can learn from them. Yeah. yeah but if it's just like, this is subpar, then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, there's, there's a difference, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's a mistake where it becomes a teachable moment. You're like, Hey, I should have done this here. I, you know, in the video, you can see me doing this and it's wrong. And here's why you should do X, Y, and Z. But sometimes it's like, oh, the drill slipped. And it marked the piece of wood, and I really don't feel like driving to Home Depot to get another piece of wood just to make this look perfect. And, it, you know, it's going to be in my house. I don't care. I'm just going to keep going. I just won't show that clip. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think exactly what you just said. And the fact that, like, some mistakes, like, wisdom comes out of them, mm-hmm. and some mistakes are just like, this is so situational. <laughs> and, like, no, it, no one really needs to be. <laughs> burdened with this <laughs> i think in my latest video i even i even made a comment in the voiceover i said uh i said because i'm the one editing this video you're never gonna see the mistake that just happened or something like that yeah, yeah. that that is one thing i really i really do like about your videos and the fact that like you you like regularly break the fourth wall and and not just like in doing voiceover but like the you making and you talking to the camera and you explaining it all feel like very integrated into one another. Oh, thank you, man. It's uh, yeah, it's something, it's something I try to do. I like, you know, I try and film shots so that they bleed into other shots. And like, you know, I try and say things in a way that I can like continue the sentence in a voiceover, you know, it doesn't always work, but I try and do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't even like, I've again, kind of coming from like, what niche you want to choose and like when you're doing something it's like i i've never even like thought about like doing match cuts between like voiceover and like on camera speaking i was like oh that's a very interesting opportunity that i've never even considered before that just blew my mind completely (laughs) blew my mind i never once thought about having the talking head just start the sentence and move to 
the the other part, but then don't use the the voiceover that I was just recording. I can just re-record parts that aren't that are the voiceover part. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, you're just transferring <laughs> some skills right now. The other the other thing I like to do sometimes is um like obviously in woodworking you're doing like a lot of like repeated processes and stuff like that, right? So sometimes I'll like I'll show clips out of order, but it like I'll you know I'm trying to think of a uh an example of this, like I'll be working on piece a and I'll film it from one angle and then I'll be working on piece B and I'll film it from a different angle, but I'll cut it together in such a way that it looks like one piece. So you get like different angles and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do that all the time. I like, that is my favorite thing to do when I'm doing something repetitive is because then you like, you do it the whole way, one way, and then you move the camera. So you're not moving the camera halfway through a shot, but then you show it. It's like ripping down boards. Yeah. You're not stopping halfway through a cut of ripping down a board, moving the camera, and then rip down the third, another third of the board, move the camera again, finish the cut. No, you rip down three boards, and there's three different cameras, and you yeah. put it all together. Yeah, and all of a sudden you have a multicam TV show. Exactly right. It's, and you only have one every, Lots of people think I've asked me how many people, how many cameras I have, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm just like one, and I just I move it around a lot, but they don't get that I I move it between like yeah yeah. My, uh, I think my favorite comment that I ever got once on a Reddit post was somebody was like, how much do you pay your cameraman? And I was like, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's like when you're playing video games and somebody accuses you of hacking when you're not hacking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a pretty big oh, compliment. Yeah. <laughs> the best is when you get kicked from a place for, yeah, and they're yeah, like, because yeah. you were too many headshots. You're like, yes. <laughs> Well, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to think. I feel like there's other sort of like skills we all come from mm. that uh, you wouldn't necessarily think of because it is like we, you are such a product of like every little thing that shaped you. Like it, you can go down the route of like minutiae of like, of course, like X, Y, and Z thing. Um, there's the the giveaway that I'm not natively Canadian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, informed who I am today. Um, but I think a lot of those can also be like very interesting. I think about a lot of in like cinematography influences and like mm-hmm. how I filming. I feel like we're we're talking a lot about like making the videos, but that is such like a big part. I feel like of what we do. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and in terms of like you can, sorry, go on. No, I was just gonna say like we're making videos or making content online, whatever you want to call it. You're wearing so many different hats. Right. So of course you're trying on all sorts of different aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's such a multi, like even like even writing and communicating, like, you know, I'm thinking back to high school English class when I'm like writing my little voiceover script. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably nothing, no pursuit I've done in my life that is like as multifaceted yeah. and multidisciplinary yeah. as this. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's what I actually enjoy about it. Like making things is great, making videos is great. Mm-hmm. Putting it, putting them together, and then on on top of that, like doing the instructables post with it, yep. you're kind of getting like these. So much you're bringing together is, it's just amazing. The all the skills you need to be successful. Totally. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Scott Adams. He's kind of like a little bit of a controversial figure now. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy who created Dilbert. He does like a lot of uh, political commentary and stuff. Anyways, it's unrelated to that. I heard him talk once and he was talking about skill stacking. He was like, you look at Dilbert cartoons, right? He's like, I'm not the best cartoonist. I'm not the funniest guy. I'm not the best writer. But when you combine all of those various skills, you end up with a very unique skill set that has allowed me to be super successful. And I think about that a lot, right? Like, Mm. you know, how many people can build something, shoot a video of it, write an instructables post about it. It's, you know, it's, it's, they're not, you don't have to be the best at everything, but when you stack them all together, it's a pretty unique skill set. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good, I think that's a good note to end on and to, and to transfer into our clampendations for this week. And actually this, this conversation inspired me to change mine. I'm still going to mention the first one, but I thought of another one that is very relevant. Um, to what we're talking about. So actually I'll kick it off because <laughs> there's your segue. Um, so the first thing I just want to mention really quickly, 
um, is because it's a bit of a, it's a bit of like a second. Um, it was actually recommended by Ben Ueda last week on the Modern Maker podcast. It is a book called Post Corona from Crisis to Opportunity by Scott Galloway, um, who is a business professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very outspoken on Twitter and other places. And it was this really fascinating analysis into how the world may look after coronavirus and what sort of um, what sort of things it's exposing in life. He talks a lot about business and tech specifically, um, especially near the beginning. And if that it doesn't interest you very much, I would say don't let it turn you off because later on he touches on a lot more of like sociological things, higher education, um, how it's exposing some flaws in higher education, especially in the United States and elsewhere. It's just like really all around fascinating. And you can tell that this guy has like his finger on the pulse of what's going on. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating read. I listened to it on audiobook. It was about like a five, six hour listen um, read by the author. So yes, right. I second what Ben said in recommending that because I got a ton out of it. The second thing that I want to recommend um, is I read an article last week. It's a New Yorker article and it's a profile on Mark Ellison. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but I hadn't before this article. He is a carpenter in New York city. He's, I think carpenter doesn't fully capture (laughs) what he does because that is just like one aspect of it, but he essentially works on the most incredible interiors and homes in New York city, like billion for billionaires, not billion dollar homes, but for billionaires. Um, in the fact that like someone will get a 60th story condo and want to make it look like a Greek palace (laughs) and he will figure out how to make it work. Um, he basically like, I think the, the, the article is called the art of building the impossible. I'll link it in the show notes. And that's literally what he does. And it's really interesting because he talks a lot about how these homes are not necessarily places he would want to live. He has this great quote where he says like, most of my clients are not qualified to live in the homes I build for them (laughs) just because like all the wiring and plumbing and everything that has to go behind all these facades that like somehow works. And it, at a certain point you need like a staff to maintain it, <laughs> but it, it, it was just like really inspiring. in the fact of like how he problem solves, um, this, this whole world of incredibly high end real estate in New York city. Um, I would recommend it reading. I think any maker will get a lot out of that article. And I agree. I've read it. Uh, if you'd like, uh, to see all the pictures, there are unfortunately not very many in the article. Mm. That's the only thing I'll say. From it's a classic from New Yorker, like, all text yeah. and pictures. <laughs> I was like, there's not enough t- pictures here. They talk about anytime you talk about something, you try and describe it in an in an article on the internet, and you could have taken a picture of it. You should have just taken a picture of it. Anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is originally a print article, so that's where they're yeah. coming from. But you can up your on. Anyways, we won't even get into like. That's a whole thing that I think is wrong with the things. Um, <laughs> my clamp mandation for the week, I'll go next, is uh, John John uh, is uh, John Kaipoff. He's making solar visual visualizations. Uh, it's a really cool thing. He's been talking about it for a long time, and it's basically he got the solar radiation data per hour for a his city and then a whole bunch of other cities. Um, and then he made, he was like, that's just data. And it didn't really say anything. And he wanted to see it visually. So he designed these models that show how much sun is, is out there throughout the day uh, at any point. And I think it's just a really cool way that he, he took data and turned it into something you can actually see. Um, and it's really cool how it actually shows like daylight savings time and, uh, and it, and different things like that. It's a great video. The The project is cool, but I actually think his video was even better. It's I think an incredible video. Yeah. I think it's like one of the best videos. Like it's got the best B-roll and then like, I don't know what to say. It just was a really, really engaging video for something that most people I'm going to say yeah. are not going to be engaged by visualization of data. Yeah, but I no, think he, 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 did, he took these job. beautiful drone shots of his hometown. Yeah. He did all these sort of like sound effects when he was going to buy the wood. It was it was pretty incredible. I think John needs a TV show. Totally. He's yeah. and he's he's a smart guy. It's funny because when I talked to him once, he he mentioned 
how much of an inspiration Mr. Rogers is to him. And I can totally see that. Like the, the teaching on camera, um, that level of production quality. I still have yet to see that movie, the Mr. Rogers documentary. Yeah, me neither. Me either. Um, so I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. Uh, beforehand, you uh, <laughs> you sent me the, the format of the show. I didn't know that I had to bring a recommendation. I thought I thought you guys were going to do the recommendation part of it. Oh, I, my email must have been unclear. I'm no, sorry. No, I think it's just my reading comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if if you would permit, I, I would like to give two recommendations of two of my buddies who also make YouTube videos. Is that okay? Definitely sounds perfect. Uh, yeah, the like Grant Grant and Morley. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> done. Um, no, I want to talk about my two buddies, uh, Chris Zoom Keller. His uh, his youtube um is zoom keller workshop and he does uh very similar to what you guys were talking about earlier like the asmr style no talking just beautifully shot um very minimal with the music too um and i just i always love watching his videos because you really see how he's very good at capturing how something is done without ever saying a word um so yeah he's he's got a very small youtube channel right now but he he does really good work so i'd love to see him get a little bit more recognition from that and then my other uh clint mendation is that what you guys say yeah okay okay uh is um <laughs> another friend of mine who also has a youtube channel remark uh remarkable works mark from remarkable works and he um He's a, he's a guy I've worked with in person quite a bit on, uh, we actually wa- worked on Scott McGilvery, you know, the income property guy, Scott McGilvery. We worked on yeah. his web series yeah. together. Um, and he, I take so much inspiration from Mark in just the way he is when he's talking to camera. He's a, he's a very, he's a very, uh, skilled builder and he's, he's a great woodworker, but he is such a charismatic guy. And that comes across nice. so clearly in his videos. So I try my utmost to uh, to be like him when I'm recording my videos. Well, you're definitely a charismatic guy. I'm the guy who like rolled a, a critical failure on his charismatic <laughs> role. So. <laughs> you know, it's I thank you. That's a very nice thing for you to say. But I, it's weird. I I do not think of myself that way. So. It's. Uh, I think we're to a certain extent we're all very poor judges of our own character. <laughs> of course, like yeah, yeah. we're we're, we're always like, the hardest marker on totally, ourselves. Totally, you see all your own failures, right? You're, you have a front row seat for them. And yeah. humans did not evolve to talk to a black lens. No, so no. when you when you try to do it for the first time, having like no experience acting or oh, or whatever else, it's like. Who invented this? <laughs> it's very strange. It's weirdly strange. Yeah, it is. I like the first few times I would record like my intro, like, Hey, it's Grant Alexander, whatever. Uh, it would take me like 20 or 30 takes. Yeah, me too. Like now I get it like almost like two or three. I do. Yeah. Cause I always do two or three. Yeah. I don't care how great the first one went. I do a second one. Yeah. Cause I got to, but the first it's like 20 or 30 times before I'd get, through like just, hey everyone, it's Grant Alexander, right? And it's like, like how is that hard? Like, hey, I'm like, oh, you start becoming like, really conscious of like your mouth, and you're like, I'm yeah. salivating so much, and my palms We're are not sweating. salivating at all. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I had all my saliva go. <laughs> You'd be surprised what you can tie your tongue on when you're looking at a camera lens. Right. And looking at a camera lens was a, a thing. I recorded like a video and I think I showed it to my girlfriend. She's like, where are you looking right now? Like when your eyes are yeah. not looking at the lens, they're like off in the corner of the room because you're all timid. I was like, oh, yeah, because <laughs> I need to look at the lens when I record these things. If you have acting training, mm-hmm. you don't look at the camera. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to look at the person. The person's not in the camera, right? That's true. So it's a really weird thing to then to go, well, no, now I need to look directly into the lens. Mm-hmm. Not the timer on the camera right beside yeah. it because they can tell. Yeah. You need to look yeah. at the lens part. Or like if you're I, – I just got a new camera that has like a screen that flips out. Oh, yeah, And yeah. now I'm always looking at the screen and it's like, no, you have to look at the lens. Like don't try and like yeah. monitor the video like while you're filming this. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, um, this was awesome. This was a great conversation. Um, if you would like to support the show, you listener, um, we really appreciate any sharing, whether it be by word of mouth or social media or anything else. Um, telling anyone about the show is really fantastic. And if you would like to directly support the show, uh, we do have a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash clamp. You get access to the after show, awesome uh, embossed leather keychains made by yours truly. Uh, and top level supporters over there get a shout out. Uh, so Leroy at Big Rock Timberworks, thank you so much, my man. Um, we don't have any reviews this week, um, but you can find us all at, oh, before that, TF Turning. Thank you for the theme music. It's wonderful. And I sing it every time in the after show. Um, you can find us, you can find Grant at the Grant Alexander everywhere. You can find me at Morley Kurt. You can find the podcast collectively at Clampcast. And you can find Zach at Zach Builds. Instagram, YouTube, anywhere else, Zach, that you would want to direct people? Uh, ZachBuilds.com if you're really into reading instead of watching. <laughs> I do like a written version of everything. So, yeah. Awesome. Nice. ZachBuilds.com as well. Anything else, boys, before we uh, wrap this up? Nothing from me. No, I'm good. This is great. I love this. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. No, I don't think so. There's like no, no, like safe words that I shouldn't say or anything like that. <laughs>